0: training is vegetables. I sell vegetables. We all know we should eat them, but people would rather buy vodka. So the client success person's job is to do that. And what I did was made sure that the client success person was on like the second to last or last sales call so that it was a warmer handoff to the kickoff and the getting of the numbers and the engaging for the relationship. But I think we can do better. This is Sales Hacker, a podcast for modern sales professionals who are looking to create more pipeline and close more deals. In each episode, we explore the latest sales tips, tactics, and strategies from leading industry pros that will teach you how to capture and connect data, streamline workflows, and do mission-critical work smarter so you can create opportunities more efficiently and close deals more predictably.
1: Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. I'm your host. Colin, been running the Sales Hacker team for about five years now. Our guest today is Lauren Bailey. And I think, Lauren, one of the reasons that you're maybe not on social media all the time is because you are super, super busy. You run the Sales Bar, Factor 8, and Girls Club. And you got two kids and a new puppy and who knows what else going on. So that's a lot. It's a little
0: of twos. Yeah, it's it's two (laughs) companies, two kids, two dogs, two cats. I've kept it at one husband. I mean, he is my son. (laughs)
1: There you go.
0: Yes, I have a problem.
1: (laughs) That's a lot. But I was actually just thinking before we got on, I was like, gosh, you know, I looked you up. You got uh, 19,000 and some followers on LinkedIn. And I thought to myself, you know what? You're not. And I mean, this as the (laughs) biggest compliment I have is that you're kind of a best kept secret in my opinion. Not that you're a secret, but just that like 19,000, I was like, that's it. More people should be following Lauren because you're not the you know, hype machine, just spouting random opinions all the time. Like you always come with a nuanced view and your scope of knowledge is breathtaking. You can do the tactical, like here's how to call and leave a voicemail. You can do here to how to coach, you know, how, you know, it extends all the way up to the leadership level. You do change management, behavior management, sales training, enablement, all of it. So.
0: Thank you. I cannot, however, bake to save my life. I've never (laughs) in my life made a successful batch of cookies. But you're right. I think that when I, I grew my business and started my business before social media, and I get a little tweaked off by the experts, like you know mm. what I mean? Like you got an, a spare thirty minutes today, a day, and a, a camera phone, and all of a sudden you're a thought leader. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it is sad. I I, I take your compliment and the very much to heart, but at the same time, yeah. Nobody wants to be a secret. I'm running businesses here, folks. Come and follow. hello in the water's fine. Oh,
1: <laughs> and you've got, the, you got a newsletter there. So there's a lot of good stuff going on for the ladies in our audience. Or if you're an ally, check out Girls Club. It really is. I know a couple people who went through the program. And they never stopped talking about it to me. Like every time I talked to them, they were like, by the way. By well, like, the way. Yeah. 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 It
0: is that addictive. It, like, we are literally changing lives. So it's hard to count, Colin, but I think that we can confidently say we've been part of over 300 promotions.
2: Holy and crap. And
0: it's really cool. So we're on our fifth generation, and, right? So it's a cohort of year, which, by the way, I'm excited to announce here for the first time, we're launching an on-demand version this year. Which no is, shit. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. So here's the story. Three weeks ago, I was at a conference in Chicago. An old buddy of mine comes up, Rob Beattie, and says, hey, I've got two women for you. When are you running your next cohort? I'm like, in 11 and a half months because we literally Uh, just kicked off. We just started. Yeah. So that's a bummer, right? And then you know what else was cool that happened was there was a panel. I wasn't in the room on leadership. And somebody in the audience stood up and started talking to the girls club. People came and told me afterwards. It was like 15 minutes long. So. People are passionate about it and we're, we're, we're changing the future of work. And that makes me immensely proud.
1: You should be. It's really, it it is amazing. And when you say, that's why I was, it stands out to me because when you say you've been a part of 300 and some promotions, because it's, I mean, up to date, cohort based, you're really part of it. This is not people at arm's length. This is like, you've. No, it's so with
0: that Like yeah. 50 to 100 women graduate as proteges in six months every year. And the last time we looked, which I think was generation three, stat, not four, doesn't matter. 70% of the cohort who were rep level were promoted before it was even over. Like, it's <laughs> incredible. It's fast. It's fast. And get this in Chicago, I also ran into Julia Bourne, who was our protege of the year in first generation. Shout and out, she, Julia. Hi, Julia. She's now a vice president and about to be promoted again. Like she was a team lead, be clear. So she's had a promotion every single year and just keeps going higher and higher.
1: That's mind blowing.
0: That neat. But also shout out to Market Source who puts somebody in the program every single year because they've got a commitment to that.
2: So mm. those are the
0: people who are the real heroes because here's this. Here's another kind of horrible stat. More than half of the women who come into the program, their companies don't pay for it. This is a leadership certification. We all know how hard it is to find good sales managers and how often we make mistakes in promoting the wrong people or hiring from the outside and they don't fit, right? It's a program we run at cost with a hugely proven track record to produce a high-performing sales manager and the companies don't pay for it. It just breaks my heart. So we have great sponsors like Outreach who do pay for it and help women take advantage of the program.
1: Thank goodness! And you know those companies that aren't paying for it. My my guess is that the folks who go through the program when their company hasn't paid for it, they go find a better job.
0: <laughs> you bet they do. You <laughs> bet they do. And I've got squawkers yeah. who want to recruit these women. And for the first three years, I was like, "Oh no, Chinese wall!" And now I'm like, "You're not going to pay for your woman to come in the program. I'm going to make her fantastic, shine a big spotlight. She's going to go get a better job." So we go. have, in fact, it's open right now. If you go to WeAreGirlsClub.com. You can see right there, we every year award top 25 companies where women want to work. Those are the companies we like to send them to. So you can, by the way, vote for a company or nominate your company there right now.
1: I remember voting for outreach last year.
0: There you go. It's open. Yeah. Now's the time.
1: Lauren, it's been a while since we talked. And so like the theme of- You're a daddy show, now.
0: Does everybody I'm a know? dad now. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I'm a dad now. I have a three-month-old at home. It keeps me busy. He's awesome. But, you know, like I was preparing for this chat and I was like, oh, what do I want to ask Lauren about? Because, you know, I think for the first time, I just have you for like an hour to ask you anything I want. And it struck me that we haven't really had this kind of in-depth chat since before the pandemic. And so a lot has changed. (laughs) And there are actually things that I think I'm going to ask you that I've asked you before. And I just kind of want to see what your newest thinking is. And in fact. Vix. We have some questions from the community later on. You did not ask me anything session with sales hacker. Remember this? This was mm-hmm. in 2020, like right at the start of the pandemic. Wow. And there are a oh, bunch wow. of questions there. And so we're going to bring those back up. We'll shout out some of the members who asked later on. And we'll ask you for your latest take and, uh, this and, will be fascinating know, we'll be because you know see.
0: I have yeah. no recollection of what I said, right? <laughs> but, so you're going to have to be like, oh, new answer, or literally it was verbatim of what you said last time. I'll let
1: you know if you're doing a complete 180.
0: <laughs> Perfect. This will be like fun. It's like a quiz. I love a game show, Colin, and I have a buzzer of any kind.
1: So you can yell if you want, make the dog bark.
2: I like it. <laughs> well, so that teach to
0: put me to bark, Colin.
1: One of the, yeah. One of the things that I just wanted to ask you about is because I'm kind of in my little bubble in tech. And I know that you work with a wide range of yeah. professionals and companies. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about an economic turndown. And I think that's felt in tech. I have friends and family that work in you know, manufacturing and the energy sector. And they're like, what are you talking about when I say economic yeah. turndown? Yeah. Can you like help me calibrate a little bit? Is mm-hmm. this something that you're seeing and feeling and the sales yeah. world and other industries or is this a tech thing right now? What do you think is going to happen?
0: Thanks for that. It, I do have, I would say about 20% of my customer and following is tech related, SaaS and technology. And then we go wide from there. So it is definitely worse in tech, especially mm-hmm. in software. And thank God it's not felt everywhere as strongly because I have, I've, you know, fellow training businesses shutting their doors and, and laying off their staff.
2: And uh-huh. we're not
0: in that situation. But be clear, it, it ain't easy out there, yeah. right? So I'm ready, to, I'm ready to use the R word instead of just economic downturn, right? I understand experts will tell you it's not officially a recession until probably it's after a recession because they're using lagging indicators. But yeah. the other sectors, things have slowed but not stopped. And so we're watching my average deal cycle is growing. The number of people involved is growing. If you're selling right now into any sector, one of the best tips I can give you is just know that the CFO will be signing off on the spend. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not mapping out that step-by-step decision process, length, and people, then you're just inviting a bad surprise down the road. So that's
1: more than just in software sales. You're seeing that the CFO is signing off on deals pretty much everywhere right
0: now? Yes, absolutely. So We work with services, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, medical, pharmaceutical, gosh, franchisees or franchisors. So, and uh, yeah, there's, it's felt everywhere. They're still spending, they're still buying, but they are more cautious and they've slowed down. Mm. I think what's also interesting is that I think we should talk about post-pandemic employees, right? So- I've been kind of screaming for years from my soapbox, hey, everybody, like the, the slowdown's coming. People are retiring, fewer and fewer people in the workforce, fewer and fewer people getting into sales. There's a crisis coming. And I think that COVID sped it up, right? It took something that mm-hmm. was going to yeah. generally happen over the next 10 years and boom, nobody can find employees. For sure. And that's everywhere too.
1: It's so. really impacted sales cultures. Like, so we did a couple road shows last year. We went to five cities last spring and in la- five cities again, last fall and uh, people were, it was interesting. There was a split. Some people were desperate to get back together. These are like the millennials who kind of somewhat miss office culture and going out for a beer after work and just talking shop and like no Gen Zers showed up to these things. They're free events with free food and drinks and some sales knowledge but almost no you know budding you know new sellers showed up and it made me realize that they don't really know what they're missing because a lot of them have never right. worked in an office like the last that three years
0: you're so right they don't know what they don't know i'm i went right to my mom brain they're calling my kids were in let's see like third and fourth grade ish and fifth, right three four five th- those areas during pandemic and staying at yeah. home and they didn't want to go back to school. They liked being online. And and the way I noticed the difference, however, is that pre-pandemic, we were always having playdates and sleepovers and birthday parties. And post-pandemic, literally came out of my mouth, Cameron, I'll give you $20 if you'll invite a friend over. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. That's just, I mean, I get that that is poor oh no. and wrong parenting on many levels, but <laughs> like they just, it's different, right? They've been taught not to socialize because those formative years it was missing for them we'll see the same in math skills down the road but that's oh yeah hard, right so yeah that's, that's i love that you shared that with me thank you they didn't know what they were missing so when i'm out talking to folks through our client base and we call everybody friends of factory we like to keep a tight community it helps each other and i most folks don't want to go back in the office there's i would say the very vast majority are continuing to stay either remote or hybrid you're talking
1: sellers or leaders too
0: sellers and leaders Mm -hmm. all of them sellers and leaders i think that selling from home is much easier than managing from home right when i talk to sales managers, it's tough on them it is right and i get that and it's really tough on the new hire as well Yes. And it's really tough on the training and enablement teams who have tried to figure out how to onboard people and keep them ramping quickly. Because let's be honest, like there's a few things I need to say about sales onboarding because this is my sport. One, it's a race. Okay. Mm-hmm. Companies need to hook sellers in the first three to six months or they lose sellers, especially because we bring people on at this BDR level now. Yeah. But when I say now, folks, if you haven't been selling for more than 10 years, it used to be that you were just a seller, right? You went and prospected, found the business, built your book, and then sort of, you know, constantly were told to prospect, but didn't because you didn't have to. And, and now we start people in sales with the hardest part of the job, right? That prospecting, very tip of the sword, cold calling, even when we say it's warm calling experience that vast majority of sellers do not like. So how do you hook them? Well, we try fun, harder, remote. We try community, harder, remote. And we try success. And I think success is the most addictive. When I feel good at it, right? When I feel good at something, I'll keep doing that. Something. When I feel successful at work, I'll keep coming back to that work. And studies show that when I feel successful at work, especially as a man, that is like an 800 times proof point to having a happy life. Like 800 times higher than health, marriage, anything else is I feel happy at work, I'm a happy dude. And
1: I can attest to that.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah, do. a lot
1: of my self-esteem is tied up in my work. Per- my, you know, it's funny for me, is tied up in other people's perception of my work performance.
0: Oh, now that was it's, insightful. Your therapist had a really deep conversation about this. but it was I mean what really great by the way authenticity and self-knowledge good for you but it's true because it's not just how you feel you're doing success isn't an internal metric is it success is your boss your peers your company awards your raises your attaboys your you know your ambition celebration screen whatever it is so that success at work is where we've got to hook them and I think that training and development and managers and everyone are struggling to onboard people in a way that we make them successful quickly. And that's the biggest struggle. So people come in and then they opt out of sales and they come in and they opt out and the revolving door is spinning fast. And as a sales community and as sales leaders, we've got to stop that madness, right? Like this is the bigger Picture This is the bigger why, right as a sales leader, you may think your job's the number, but it's not right it's like it's engaging and hooking your people, and when we do that, the number will follow, but I think that's it's interesting that's what keep gets us up in the morning
1: it sounds like you're arguing for especially like onboarding a remote or hybrid you know new seller that the the best way to make them stick around and be successful mid to long term is to help them get wins under their belt quickly.
0: Yes. Yes. There was a
1: 100%. I, I don't know if you've heard this from Sam Nelson, who used to be an SDR leader at, at outreach, but he yeah, used yeah. to do kind of the opposite. He would make all new SDRs cold call and try to sell a pizza.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The reasoning being that it only got easier from there because that's Really weird to do. Like, you know, call a stranger and try to sell them a pizza. So it sounds like it's actually not different.
0: So let me get inside Sam's head, his funny, gorgeous head for a second. (laughs) Okay. I I did something similarly with a group of trainees early in my career who had a little phone fear. Mm -hmm. And I mean, show me somebody under 30 who doesn't have a little phone fear, right? Like, they don't answer their phones, they text. And so I wish I could say we, I'm way too old to even pretend. Anyway, so to get over some problem fear, you call and you do something hard. Yeah. And that's like, they just have to do it. And it's so much easier when you can get out of your head of, what if they ask about the product and I don't know this and I don't know when this is my job and it's tied to my, you just leave all that bullshit aside. Because you know everything about pizza. Everybody and you, knows it. Who cares? It, it's a throwaway event. Yeah. And yeah. so it's something you can steal if you're working with brand new people who haven't sold before or they have call reluctance. So I had them calling veterinary offices to try to board my cat because I had to move to Manila. <laughs> we didn't give them a damn. They just call. And so it was, it was really a cool thing. And then afterwards, you're like, now, what would you say? Like, how much easier? You just had two weeks of product training. Let's sell this stuff. So I think that's different. It's It's getting a win and making it a game. So he was doing it with some fun and he was building confidence in the motion of doing something over the phone and then having that, gosh, no big deal. I didn't die. So we used to give away gift cards. I love doing this. When you're cold calling, everybody says you're supposed to get past the gatekeeper and they, they couldn't be more wrong. If you get a live body on the phone, A, go celebrate. B, get every piece of information possible from that live body. Are you with me? Yep. I can capture more contacts. I can actually sales qualify this account. I, I mean, it's a gold mine if you do it right. But people are a little nervous, right? This, this woman sounds like a senior executive assistant and she's very busy and I don't want to ask her three questions and I can tell she's getting a little annoyed with me. And so we stop. It's sort of a social contract. To stop because we fear being rejected, even when it's with a nameless, faceless somebody we will literally never talk to again. So we would give out gift cards for people who got yelled at. There not, you go. That's not the job, but I it's want not you the to goal. Your, you want to find your edge, right? Yeah,
1: consolation hey, prize, and
0: you found your edge. You got eight questions answered, and now you know what it feels like and how far you can go. Ask three each time and keep her happy. It's a win. It's a cakewalk. You well, know,
1: you're really making me appreciate the time that I spent cold calling. And mine was different. I wasn't really selling B2B. I was selling B2C. Yeah. What's well, It was very telemarkety. Yeah. And I got yelled at a lot. And, and at the time, and even really up to like five minutes ago, I looked at that as something I just kind of had to get through mm-hmm. to get to the next stage of my career. -hmm. But when I look back, I'm actually realizing that I can credit that time. It was about a year of just solid like no's doors slammed in faces. I did door-to-door sales, field sales, and cold calling. What did that Um, give you? It made me feel you know, I used to be really shy. And I'm I'm still an introvert, but I used to have a
0: podcast now.
1: I know. I used to have trouble like talking to people and thinking on my feet in conversation. And I think it was just like, you know, the fear. And so for me, having to go through that has been invaluable not just for helping me get out of that role and into something better, but actually like building sales acumen. And I'm more open to have conversations with leadership that expose me to, you know, higher levels of knowledge about how to run a business.
0: Yes. And all yes. kinds of things. If we're open to it, I think the tie here's the top things out of cold calling, right? One's the resilience. Right. That fear of rejection stops us from doing almost anything worthwhile in our lives. Read a little Brene Brown folks. Like get in the arena. And just freaking go for something. And She's that great. is learning that. Yeah.
1: Shout out, I, Brene, if you're listening. And we know that you I, are.
0: Oh, I hope you listen to calling. You should, Brene. You're amazing. <laughs> Nothing I want to tell Brene Brown. Sure. Okay, back on track. the The second thing that cold calling does for us, if we let it, is a business MBA. Okay? Mm-hmm. You may be selling the same thing or the suite of same things. But every single business that you're calling to works differently. And it's run by different people and different personnel. Like you can learn. So I do all the time just interacting with my customers. I know Mm -hmm. so much more about business than somebody who's only grown up in one business. Because I get to see 20 at any one given time. And then I think that the third thing it does for us, there's the education piece and there's the resilience piece. But I think it also helps us really learn how to connect to people. Mm -hmm. Because that's the sport right? If we can get yep. over the right. rejection side, it's not just, can I get you to book a meeting or learn more? Can I get you to connect to me? That's the sport. Yep. And and when we look at it that way, we build the resiliency. We build that learning mindset when it's about improvement. And I think as, if you don't mind, I'm going to offer a tip to sales leaders in building that. Yeah. you got to embrace the rejection. When we stick our head in the sand about I'm not going to get hung up on or yelled at or rejected. We pretend it doesn't happen. How do you think the 22-year-old feels who's going through that?
1: I mean, it's basically like professional gaslighting kind of, right?
0: Oh, right. my God, you're right. You're so <laughs> right. It's, it's, like, it's like hiring a quarterback and not mentioning safeties or yeah. defense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, Don't you can't do it, that yeah. to kids. And so yeah. they feel I'm – going, I'm going right back to Brene here. They feel shame. Mm-hmm. They feel it's personal. And so they have to armor up to go to work, don't they? Have you ever had a job where you had to armor up before you went?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's soul-sucking, it, right? I didn't last. I did not no. last in that job.
0: No. no. I lasted a year and a half huh. at my first job. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of money involved.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, some golden handcuffs.
0: Ugh. But I'm literally, it was a year and a half to the day. Because if I stayed one more day towards the big bonus, right, like I just had to do it for my own mental health. So mm-hmm. armoring up to go to work sucks. And it's a guarantee your your staff will never stay in sales and they won't come back to sales. So we have to teach young people to love sales. We have to show them that rejection is part of it. And we have to show and help them deal with that. We have to engage them in not just our companies and our products, but with each other and with this sport of selling because I, I got to say selling is an amazing profession and career and we're rejecting people too early or they're rejecting.
1: I think you're hundred percent right. And we were talking about, you know, so that happens in onboarding, right? People decide pretty quickly, do I love this or do I absolutely hate it? Do I have to put on my armor for this? And I know that, you know, now, a lot of people aren't onboarding in an atmosphere where they can constantly hear their friends
0: yeah. and
1: their peers and even the people they don't like on the team making good, or, or bad, bad. Yeah, ugly exactly. calls.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, we want to a with of too. You're right.
1: Yeah. And so like people have Kaya and like call recording stuff and call coaching stuff. But, you know, how do you, so I'm a sales manager, right? I'm onboarding a whole bunch of new reps. Do I just send them like, hey, here are some great calls to listen to? How do I do that well? So I yeah. know it actually makes an impact.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, learning is not an individual sport. It's a group sport. So the, there's telling and there's training and there's coaching. And I think the vast majority of us sales managers, I know I did confuse them, which is why you constantly hear new managers saying, I keep telling my team to do X, Y, and Z and they don't do it. Well, because it wasn't a telling game. This was a training game or a coaching game. So- When you want people to learn from recorded calls, then you have to help them internalize. A passive listen does not learning make, right? A passive listen is going to give you some exposure. It's the telling. So here's how you translate that into actual learning. Here's my number one way to do it. I call it the pause game. This is the number one hack I ever shortening ramp time. And I literally made a career in corporate in shortening ramp time. So listen up. You grab anybody's call, right? Right out of outreach recording. You hit play and you let it go for no longer than 10 seconds. You pause and then you ask the person or small group that you're training, all right, what's the customer thinking right now? And this is important because we're in our heads in sales, right? We're so worried about what we're going to say. And the great sellers are connecting with their customers. So when we can teach them to get into the customer mindset, everything changes. Mm. So we have that discussion, right? It could be multiple different ways. Then you say, okay, let's assume it's what Colin said. You're exactly right. The customer's thinking, I want to get the hell off the phone. If this were you, what would you do next? And this is the magic, okay? So that's decision-making. The way adults learn is in file folders. I promise not to go too far into training geek for you here, Colin, but we learn in file folders, right? So like, oh, when you tell me there's Kaya, I have to say, oh, that's a CI tool, right? Like Mm -hmm. this company and this company and this company. It went into that folder in my head. Now, ramp time from hire to quota isn't because they don't know what to do. It's they don't know when to do it. So when we say, what would you do next? They're like, well, I don't know. Let me scan. I've got a folder of rapport building. I've got a folder of product questions. I have a folder of negotiation. I have a folder of features and benefits. I've got a value prop. I've got questions. Which one do I pull here? Mm -hmm. Right? And they're like, oh, this is where I start my discovery questions. Let me pull it out. And then they listen to the rep who either does or doesn't. And because they're tuned into the customer, they hear the effect of that decision, right? So, whoops, this rep pulled out. Let me pitch all over you. And I heard the customer disengage. That's how someone learns to not do that, okay? Then you close up the call recording. And you say, great. Now we're going to role play it. Mm-hmm. You put them in groups or one-on-one, right? You play the rep. They they also take a turn playing the customer. Huge learning in doing that. So we call it triad at Factor 8. Anytime we learn something, you don't really learn it now until you do it. So there's a rep, there's a customer, there's a coach. There's a form that helps, tells them exactly what to listen for, questions to ask to dig it out. And then you practice it three times so everybody plays something in the same scenario. And man, now they've learned something. By the way, just to complete the triad, the telling was the call listening right? The learning was the pause game and the role play. After comes the coaching, okay? All too often, we're trying to train and tell during coaching, which is why our coaching sessions sound like one-way monologues. But now you can coach it, right? Next time you hear it, like, hey, which shoulder did you pull out there? Hey, what's the customer? Thinking, what made you choose to, to go that direction instead of something else? And that's the light tapping to get people back in the guardrails that should be coaching, right? That's when it becomes mine. I'm executing. You're giving me feedback. I'm getting props, five to one, positive to negative. And, right, I'm making my own decisions now and you're helping me do that. Instead, of giving me a goddamn script to read like I'm a third grader. (laughs) Not that I have anything against scripts, different soapbox. So sorry, that was really long. I just took off on a huge tangent there. Sorry.
1: No, it's super valuable. I mean- this it brought to mind, this is again why you're one of my favorite people in the sales training world. It's because you are focused on, like you said, not what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Like you're focused on your customer, who are the sales managers and the sellers. And there are a lot of folks who are, you know, purported experts who really just talk about, hey, here's how sales should work. And they don't concentrate on driving the behavior change. It's in, all about
0: behavior change. Yes,
1: it's about behavior change.
0: Anybody yeah. can talk with their camera phone about, yep. and it's just such bullshit. And and by the way, that's what sells books, right? Like yep. everybody talks about the sales conversation, and every few years there's another big thing, right? Ask mm-hmm. questions, be valuable, challenge them, insult them, whatever it is. And <laughs> it, it it but we know in digital sales that that conversation moment is about a tenth. Of my yeah. journey and process as a seller. Getting to that conversation is what's pushing me out of sales. And I think that's missing from a lot of sales competencies and curriculum and onboard.
1: So when when you run trainings for sales teams, are you just training the reps? Oh god no. Or do you no, require we're... that We require
0: it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Would you like to ask a whole question before I jump all over you? <laughs>
1: you, you beat me to it. You know exactly what I was gonna ask, which is because here's, here's where I was going with this. is like, you're a fantastic sales trainer. I know everybody on the Factor 8 team is fantastic. You could come in and run fantastic sessions for my teams. Then you leave at some point after oh. our engagement. How do I make sure the behavior sticks as a manager?
0: It's a number one question anybody who ever buys training should ask. Thank you for asking it. So it, it's, it's sort of the white whale that we've been chasing, right? Factor 8 has been around for 15 years. We were training digital sales before it was cool. And, it, and I've chased this whale. Let me tell you the latest iteration of solution that we have. One, managers get training before the reps get training. We have a, oh. a whole program called Coach to Coach that every sales manager gets for free if we're training your reps because That's it doesn't cool. work otherwise. Yeah. You do so that first? We, we do it first. So we start with the managers and we teach them about how to develop their team about what to say and what not to say and what to do and what not to do and why their role is so important. And then we also bring them into the bar, which is our platform where we have all of the reinforcement tools and coaching guides and stuff to make their lives easier. Because if they can take 30 seconds to pull something out of the bar to run a huddle or a team meeting or a call coaching, they're going to do it more often, right? So we start with the manager training. Then we require them to be part of the rep training. So they're the ones that roll out the rep pre-training in the bar. Oh, cool. Then they come to the live session with my team or we give them the tools for their enablement team to run it. We'll even let sales managers run it after we give them a little train-the-trainer. And then with they work for the rest of the period, which is usually about a month, using all those tools in there. We even given them a guide on Wednesday. Pull this report. On Thursday, send out this, right? On Friday, run a call coaching. Use this guide. So the managers use all the tools throughout the month. My team checks back in with, not the reps, the managers. So we, a week and a half later, bring the managers back. Did you roll the contest? Uh, How's it going on the activity? Who's got recorded calls? And then we grade and calibrate our grade on the calls. So it's not just learn it and use it if you want to. It's you're literally bringing the recordings back to show it's being applied and that you're coaching it correctly. And that's how you get sustained behavior change. And then, frankly, some companies, we've had year-long contracts for five years in a row. Others, we teach them, right? They go, we call it the client growth model when it's my trainers, but then all the tools are there and given to them so that their people can take over. And that, you know, we just become part of their DNA, which makes me happy, right? I don't want to have a team of 200 trainers, right? We like being a part of success, but... not for the heavy labor, if you will.
1: That's really cool. The way you just described, you're involving your clients, managers in the process from the very start. Like you coach them first and then they're the ones rolling out the pre-training. Reminded me of a thing we used to, I used to work at a marketing agency. I don't know if you know this. I was in account management at a marketing agency for about six years. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of my tenure there, say the last two years or so, we started having real trouble onboarding customers. Mm -hmm. And the reason was we had more competition in the market and our customers were also getting more sophisticated. We were specialized in content marketing and people were starting to understand what that was. So they had like more nuanced expectations. And so by the time they got through this whole sales process and had to start onboarding with an account manager, they were annoyed at every question because they had already explained it all. And so what we did was without making it a part of the job performance for account managers in terms of like, they didn't have to make sales. Mm -hmm. We required them to be a part of the sales process. We reduced their account load. Mm -hmm. We sucked up a bunch of their time being on sales calls when we knew that the prospect was qualified and onboarding started from the first demo and discovery started, uh, you know, and strategy work started from the first demo. And like I said, it sucked up a bunch of their time, but they had less churn. I like that. I don't know if I had a real point there. I guess I'm wonder, I wonder to myself sometimes why there have to be these hard handoffs in like a sales process, like STR to AE, AE to CS. <clears throat> Especially in software, there's like this very Excel sheet way of, no, it's my account now. It wasn't my account five minutes ago, but now I care about it. And I'm going to hoard it like a boss, right? Nobody's going to touch
0: right. it. I like that. and Colin, what you're making me think of is that I can do that better. So we recently hired somebody in client success. And the reason we did that is that we don't sell training as an event anymore because we think that's broken, right? We'll do an Mm -hmm. event, but then we're also going to work with you afterwards, before and afterwards, right? To keep the skills alive and help make learning something you do, not something you did. And so we're now in the renewals business, aren't we? So. And so this client success person is there to make sure that we're keeping our executives engaged because I will tell you nine out of 10 sales leaders, crazy busy, right? They're going to buy it and forget it. And we can't get them to re-engage with us saying, hey, look, we moved this number. And hey, look, we moved that number. And Bobby is like number one now. And isn't this exciting? Because it's not on fire. So they don't care. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. let's be honest. Training is vegetables. I sell vegetables. We all know we should eat them. But people would rather buy vodka. So, <laughs> so the client success person's job is to do that. And what I did was made sure that the client success person was on like the second to last or last sales call so that it was a warmer handoff to the kickoff and the getting of the numbers and the engaging for the relationship. But I think we can do better. Right? I mean,
1: there's a balance for sure because it does suck up time. You it just does have to suck up time. Out-
0: I, I know what the, the time close investment that prevents churn. Did your rate close rate go up? Absolutely. See, yeah. because if not, just the churn are, once they're closed, it's that. Well, company A literally has my client success guy who will be my relationship forevermore on these calls with me. Right now, I'm important. I'm going to choose. The other one. thing
1: we found it was close rate went up, churn went down, account manager ret- retention went up. We retained our teams better because they had they weren't handed like a pile of shit after the salesperson finished anymore. They like had a rapport, but also we found we were able to close bigger deals because often in the period of that, the account manager would raise their hand and say, basically like, Hey, you're not buying enough. You know, I I have no skin in the game here. You need to buy more stuff. In fact, it would benefit me if I waited to tell you this, but like our relationship will be sour. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I am Um, literally taking this note right now.
1: It was. Yeah. It worked for us, and like, you know, I frankly, I think we got lucky. I think it was a pretty iterative process for us to find the right balance of involvement mm-hmm. because, you know, the time cost. But
0: and, and listen, um, that happened with us too. It was iterative. I used yeah. to train the reps and then have a fifteen minute with the manager, saying, "Hey, by the way, I them this. Keep it alive." And I learned that you know, it, it just it also just because the manager went through the training doesn't mean the manager can coach it. Right. So our most famous class is the swift intro. It's a way of starting a cold to warm call that actually engages somebody and keeps them talking to you. And it, it just, it's like Colt 45, baby. It works every time. And so that is an old person <laughs> joke. Just Anyway, so we go to the class. Everybody's listening to it. Everybody's taking it. Everybody's a part of it. Everyone's heard it afterwards. And then we go and say, write yours. And without the coaching in the class, 50% of the folks will write it incorrectly. It's just, it takes a minute to move the mind Mm -hmm. and to really apply it. And what I saw that afterwards is almost all of my sales managers would coach it incorrectly because it's different. We're teaching them to do it differently. And what they've always done is here. And what we're telling them to try is here. So they don't automatically download it and become a great coach of it. It's hard to do that. And so that you've got to involve the managers even more. And it's, like I said, it's iterative because the next question is, well, how much time does that take? So one of the first things we do is put everybody through a time management class. So we've got a sales and a manager level of own your day, which is literally written for only the sales profession of, you know, how to get more productivity out of your day and and make time for the stuff that, frankly, is the reason you got into management anyway, right? All that good coaching.
1: So awesome how holistic that all is.
0: That's the uh, idea, right? Is let's let's help people feel successful at work. Let's help people love coming to the job. Because I'll tell you, my first six months in sales management, I don't know which would fill up more bottles, the wine I drank or the tears I I shed. It was not
1: (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Probably one to one ratio. So, Lauren, towards the end of our our conversations for this podcast, we do something we call maybe good advice. And that's Uh, just because, you know, I don't make promises on behalf of our guests. So we've got some questions from members of the community that we'll put to you. And you can just tell us, you know, good advice, bad advice. Give us whatever you want. The fun t- thing this time is that you've been asked these questions before.
0: Oh, this is going to be great! And you'll be like, same advice, different <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. I've got my but, buzzer.
1: So these questions are all from before the pandemic. So we've got our super producer Marcella here with the questions. Yeah. Do you have them, Marcella? Have I'm, ready. I'm ready.
2: Ready to we put go. Lauren in the hot seat. <laughs> okay. The first one is from Graham Gilovich. And they're asking, which outbound channels are you seeing teams use with the most success right now, and in what mix?
0: Mm.
2: All channels
0: is the answer. And the mix is, I don't have an answer on the mix, but I do have an answer on the how. So my maybe good advice is use your social and your email for brand awareness. Use your voicemail for personal branding and awareness and never try to sell anything in those first three channels, pick up the damn phone and get them voice to voice to do so.
1: You know what? That's pretty damn close to the last answer you gave. And, and honestly, I'm surprised on that one because the last answer you gave, like I said, was at the start of pandemic. And everybody, you know, but now I think of it, it shouldn't be surprising. Everybody thought sales channels would change in the pandemic. And I don't know that they actually did all that much.
0: Right. I think what changes people's numbers change to their cell phone numbers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the and channel think, stayed the same, but it was just the contact data was wrong.
0: There just isn't another way unless you're going to fly and show up at their door, which is a little creepy, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And it, and I the, the other thing that's changed is it used to take about seven calls to realistically say you were going to reach somebody. And mm-hmm. that number's about doubled. Oh, really? But it doesn't mean you can stop trying.
1: That's just, just – means you got to try more actually.
0: It, persistence was a winner before and it is still today. I think the vast majority of people don't try more than two calls.
1: Oof. Yeah. You know? Well, just go for, go for 14 average and then tell yourself you're trying hard enough.
0: That's what you're doing. <laughs> and then by, while you do it, you have to pretend to not be pissy. Right? Yeah. I mean when Colin <laughs> finally picks up, you can't be like, you giant dick. You've been ignoring <laughs> me for three straight months. Yeah,
1: I love that you say pretend not to be pissy. Yeah, uh, because we
0: all are, right? It's the <laughs> game that we're playing. But but listen, I I do both. I, I make the calls yeah. and I receive the calls. Yeah. And if you try only once, you didn't want me
2: bad enough. Mm. Then you didn't. That's kind of how I watch. feel too as yeah. a
1: prospect. Sorry, as Marcella.
2: As well. Yeah, that exactly. I was gonna say like. You know, if somebody called and had that had that tone of voice and said that to me, I'd be like, Yeah, oh, I know, I'm, I am totally a dick. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm here now. <laughs> that it's would be so happened. truthful, so authentic,
0: so <laughs> true. But you see, that is why voicemail works because guilt is real. Okay, okay. guilt is real. When you finally answer, you feel like a dick, and, mm-hmm. and you're and you're going to give Colin an extra five minutes on the phone.
2: Hey, I'll be like, oh, this is the 20th time. Oh yeah. We probably should talk. You really think I have something here that you can help me with. So no, I hear you. <laughs> I bet.
1: Thanks for a- that question, Graham. It's a good one.
2: Thanks Graham. Yeah. The next one is from Annika Eric. How do you know when sales management is right for you?
0: Do you know, I've changed my answer on this one. I know I have. Ooh, maybe not. So When the favorite part of your job is helping other people, you might be a great sales manager. When the favorite part of your job is getting the big W and feeling like a superstar, you probably aren't going to enjoy sales management as much as sales. But my number one answer is from Anna Baird, former CRO at Outreach. She was doing a guest spot for us with Girls Club, who are groups of women in sales trying to get into leadership. And we asked her that question, how do you know? And she said, if you're even thinking about sales management, volunteer to be a mentor and spend six months being a mentor. And if you find that experience to be kind of annoying because you're having to remind them and you you don't hate taking the time away from this or that, then your sign is that's probably like just stay in sales and be grateful for the cash. But if you love it and you can't wait to do it more, head on up into sales management.
1: Word for word, the advice you gave last time. And I think that speaks to how good advice it is. And by the way, I looked up Annika Eric, and it looks like she decided that she wanted to keep selling. Um, Had a girl. So, yeah. Props to her for figuring herself out, which, what what motivated her and Fulfilled their more, and sticking with it.
0: I had a. Cheers, Annika, for that question. Yeah, I, I had a. I think this guy's actually a VP of sales, and I known him for years. And I saw him at the AAISP event recently, and he came up and said, "Hey, OB, I sent somebody to Girls Club who I didn't think should be a manager, so that she could learn about it and be around other people who wanted to do it, and then hopefully come to the conclusion it wasn't right for her. And it worked." And she failed out of it. And I just wanted to apologize for using your program for evil instead of good. And and I, I was like, oh, my God, Joe, that's exactly what it's for. 100% great answer. Give people a safe place to learn it. Because the alternative is we do it, we get promoted, we freaking hate it. And then we leave with our tail between our legs. Because we feel like a failure. This whole discussion of trying to feel successful at work. So let people try it on through mentoring. Shadowing programs, girls' con stretch assignments, etc. Because you don't want to lose your top rep because they needed lunch.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think we've got time. Do you have time for one more, one more quick one, Lauren?
2: I do. Yes, if you do. Cool. Yeah, we got Rock one level. from Devon at Level Jump. They are asking in sales training: How do you tell which activities are most impactful? How do you measure the impact of sales training at all?
0: Hmm two totally different questions and long answers. I don't remember ever answering this. How can you tell the activity is most impactful? Because you get the highest application of the skill. So Mm -hmm. it's not because people have the most fun, although funny has to be part of learning, edutainment is real. But I can tell it's impactful because the ahas are happening. And I can tell the ahas are happening because they're either writing down the right thing, or they're saying it the right way, or they're coming to the right conclusions. So the most people with the rightest answers. The second part is how do you measure the impact of training? And it is 100% the answers in the numbers, baby. So in sales training, this isn't about like communications. It's not, it, of course it is, but it's what I'm saying is it's not this esoteric theoretical thing. When we go yeah. in to do BDR training, we do all the conversions. That's how we measure the success, right? So it's it doesn't have to be hard and tricky. Just get your baselines and know.
1: Love how simple and straightforward that answer was.
0: That's awesome. Same or different? Same or different?
1: You know what? That one, I actually don't remember. We'll have to, you know what we'll do in the show notes, we will link to Lauren Bailey's Ask Me Anything that she did. So you can go back and read. There are a ton of other, by the way, amazing questions that folks asked and you gave some great answers. Um, So if you liked this conversation, there's a whole lot more there. There are some amazing articles you've written with us. There are other awesome webinars you've done with us. We'll link all that stuff in the show notes for folks.
0: I just, Um, I've I've always loved, yeah, I've been a fun fan of sales hacker and outreach from the beginning and I value the wonderful people that come out of your organizations. They're good people and good friendships and thought leadership and all the good things. Yeah. I've been here. Every single person I'm thinking of right now makes me smile.
1: Same here. I've been here four and a half years and I still feel like I kind of snuck through the interview process somehow and like so weighed on this boat. It's a really fun team to be a part of.
0: Colin, you are a good and interesting and talented person. You oh, Thanks, Lauren.
1: Thank you. I will never believe that, but thank you.
0: Right. Don't we all have struggled with that? <laughs> That's something uh, yeah. that we talk a lot about in Girls Club. That's about confidence. You've got a little imposter syndrome and every oh, little. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, all right. Come on. Example. You're coming to girls club. You'll be our first dude protege. I? I, I actually would it. like that. I have been waiting for somebody to be brave enough to be like, I'm a dude. Can I join girls club? Because the answer is yes. Oh, yeah. But just going to take some, we have lots of male mentors and advocates and sponsors, but no protégés yet.
1: As long as I'm not going to make anybody uncomfortable or, you know, be in a place I'm not supposed to be. I am very, it's- very in. That would be great.
0: You will love this community. You will be welcomed with open arms. This is going to be fun. Tune back here later for Colin's Adventure 2024 Girls Club.
1: That's going to be great. Thank you so much for stopping by and doing this, Lauren. We should do it again because I had a bunch of questions I didn't get. (laughs) So I think I talked too much. (laughs) No, not at all. This was amazing. Are you kidding? We really appreciate it. All kinds of goodies in the show notes. There are all kinds of cool sales hacker events coming up. Folks, if you aren't if you're wondering how people submit questions to our guests, it's they just go to saleshacker.com and they ask cool questions and then I grab them and ask our guests. So if you want me to ask a sales genius cool question, then drop it in the forum there. I found out today that we're gonna have Daniel Pink on later. Awesome. So, you know, maybe I can ask Daniel Pink one of your questions. We've got interviews coming up with a Latin Conant at six cents, all kinds of other amazing sales, marketing leaders. So go ask your questions. That's my long way of saying join the community. All right. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.
0: Thanks for having me. Bye.
1: That's our episode for this week. Please, please, please make sure you leave us a six-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. And if they only let you leave five stars, that's okay too, I guess. Check out the show notes for any resources or members we mentioned. We'll make sure to include them there. Also, check out the conversations that our 55,000 members are having with one another in the forum on saleshacker.com. They are always asking really smart questions, giving amazing advice, and sharing their opinions with one another. And we did the research on it. It works. They're 40% more likely to hit quota than non-members. So if you're not there, you're missing out. Uh, We're on LinkedIn too, so give us a follow there. And lastly, if you have a question you'd like an expert to answer, email us at podcast at saleshacker.com.
2: Thanks for checking out Sales Hacker. If you enjoyed what you learned,
0: subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts or visit saleshacker.com to get access to all of the latest episodes.